Welcome to the Word of Grace podcast. As a community, we exist to love on God with all that we are and to share His grace with everyone. If you want to connect with us more, head to social media or wordofgracechurch.com. Here's today's episode. Well, for the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at the Word in a, a slightly different way. We've been looking at some themes in the Word of God that run really deep. Sometimes, you know, these are, there's so many themes in the Word of God. Some of them are very ordinary things where, to our untrained ears, we just kind of miss the symbolism that the authors of the Word of God are imparting. We're digging into a few of them, and particularly we're digging into different landscapes that the people of God encounter in their journeys with God. Different landscapes throughout Scripture that carry a ton of meaning and significance, and they echo all the way throughout Scripture. We've looked at the mountains of Scripture and the valleys. Mountains and valleys, they kind of, we talk about mountains and valleys, don't we? Oh, I feel like I'm having a mountaintop experience with God. Or you might come into church one day and you've had a particularly hard time and say something along the lines, I'm just in the valley right now, right? So we have categories that we, you know, become, become part of our Christian language that we, Christianese that we use with each other from time to time. And I hope you've been able to identify with what the Bible teaches us about these moments where we find ourselves in some of these landscapes. And today, we're going to look at another one in Scripture that is loaded with significance for us. If you want to turn with me to Luke chapter 4, and if you don't have your Bible with you this morning, it's going to be up on the screen for you. Luke chapter 4 is right at the beginning of Luke's gospel, being chapter 4. And it's a pretty interesting story that we get about Jesus in this moment. Right away following the moment where Jesus is baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit, we pick up the story with this. I'm going to start in verse 1, and we're going to read through to verse 15. It says this, Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing all that time and became very hungry. Then the devil said to him, If you're the Son of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. But Jesus told him, No, the scriptures say, People do not live by bread alone. Then the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them, the devil said. Because they're mine to give to anyone I please, I will give it all to you if you will worship me. Jesus replied, Scriptures say, You must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said, If you're the Son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say, He will, guard his, he will order his angels to protect and guard you, and they will hold, up, hold you up with their hands, so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, The scriptures also say, You must not test the Lord your God. When the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him, until the next opportunity came. Then Jesus returned to Galilee, Filled with the Holy Spirit's power, reports about him spread quickly through the whole regions, and he taught regularly in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. I want to consider today the desert as the word presents it to us in Scripture. Would you pray with me? Holy Spirit, we're thankful that you're here with us now. That wherever two or three are gathered in your name, according to your purposes, you are right in our midst and as the author of this incredible story, Lord, would you just help it to jump off the page and into our hearts in a new way this morning? God, we come this morning wanting you to change us. 
We don't want to just be hearers of the word. We want to be doers of the word. And I pray that as we consider your word together, you would give each and every one of us not just a new revelation, but some new marching orders as well, Lord. Some new practical ways that we can follow you. That's what it's all about. We love you, Lord, and we pray that you'd be right here in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. A few years ago, Laura and I, we talk all the time about how much we read. Uh, Laura and I read the sci-fi classic book, Dune. Anybody read Dune? No? Well, it's in theaters right now, the movie version. So anybody seen Dune? So it's an it's a interesting book. If you haven't heard of the book Dune before, we'll just leave it at this. It's basically where George Lucas stole all his ideas for Star Wars from. Okay, so maybe Star Wars is something you're you know, more familiar with, but yes, we are that big of nerds, and we read the, uh, the original stuff, if you like. We're, we're that Star Wars kind of nerdy, that kind of Dune nerdy, and kind of like Star Wars, the setting of the, the book is on a desert planet. It's on a planet that is just covered in sand dunes and desert, okay? And the author masterfully takes you into that desert planet, Especially the kind of emptiness and dryness and vastness of the desert. To the point where I would get done reading a chapter and I would be like, where is my water? I feel the lack of water in my body right now. Why is my mouth dry right now? Because, you know, everything you're reading is about, like, basically no water anywhere. And it's funny because when we think about the desert, we think about those kind of things, we, we get a sense of it. And reality is, in the desert moments of our lives and in the deserts that we see physically... You can't overthink things when you're in the desert, can you? Things get really, really simple in the desert. You're not like sitting there contemplating the meaning of life when you know you're running out of water quickly, right? The desert, the wilderness has a way of simplifying things for us. You're thinking, hey, food, water, shelter, right? All the way down Maslow's hierarchy of needs. In the Word, although the desert isn't always the dry, sandy place, that Frank Herbert writes about in Dune, it actually has the same simplifying ability. When we get to a moment that's kind of a desert moment in our lives, it has the same ability to simplify things for us. We're not waxing poetic about things in the desert. We're just craving one thing only. It's a place where we choose to focus on the most important things first. Choose to lean on God alone which, if we're honest today, that's something we don't do particularly well. And if we can be honest with ourselves in church, right? It's difficult for us when we have so much and so much ability to provide for ourselves, our needs, our families. It's difficult for us to kind of even envision a place where we are depending on God for absolutely everything. But that's what the desert looks like so often in Scripture. And the desert is a place that Jesus showed us how to go. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. That's what Dr. Luke tells us in chapter 4. Anybody else find this a little bit strange? You know, he's baptized, Holy Spirit descends and fills him with power. You know, he's ready to rock and roll for the ministry. He's got the kingdom is coming. He's ready with his message, and then he up and disappears for a while. It's a little bit of a strange next step for Jesus, wouldn't you think? The Spirit leads him toward a place of testing and tempting. Huh? The Spirit leads him for a showdown with the devil. What's going on in this passage? The headline in your Bible might read something about the temptation of Jesus, or Jesus is tempted in the desert. 
the testing of Jesus. For 40 days, we're told that he was in the desert. And just like Israel spent 40 years being tested in the desert, that number we've seen again in this series, 40 is the biblical number that thematically is tied to times of testing. And this was a moment where Jesus was being put to the test by Satan himself. A lot of the times in our lives, our moments of testing, they're not our idea of a good time, right? Anybody just love taking tests? No? Okay, I know you're lying. Maybe they invoke some bad memories for you. We say like, oh, it's time to take your test. Maybe that phrase alone kind of makes your skin crawl a little bit. Maybe we think about it through the lens of like our school experience, you know, where final exams were that dreaded thing you knew was coming at the end of every semester. And we loathe having to take the test, don't we? I've never met anybody, yourself included, that loves taking tests. For me, I was more like the people of Israel. When the testing moments showed up, I was in the desert moments, the testing moments, and I was the one grumbling, like, come on, I hate having to do this. I wasn't bad at taking tests, I just didn't like it. We don't like taking tests. But Jesus was led to his testing moment by the Spirit of God. And he went willingly to that testing because he saw that desert place. The place of testing is something different than what we think of. The Bible kind of testing isn't just about, hey, memorize this, regurgitate it, and move on like our school experience often is. It was designed to take him face-to-face with the weaknesses, the passions, the things inside. That's what our testing moments in scriptures, they do. They bring us to a place where everything gets simplified, where we see what our real needs are. We see those things that don't matter quite as much, and we get to choose to pursue him only. It is always to develop something in us, something that can only come in a place like the desert where it's just us and God. Some of our comforts are put on hold in that place. When Jesus was led by the Spirit, most translations call the place he went the desert or the wilderness. In your Bible, it probably says the desert or the wilderness, which is physically correct, but there's a lot more significance to that phrase. John Mark Comer does a fantastic job unpacking the Greek for the wilderness or the desert here. He says this, he says, Desert here doesn't necessarily mean sand and heat like we think of or the movie Dune shows us. The Greek word is eramos. It has a wide variety of meanings. It can be translated as desert, deserted place, desolate place, solitary place, lonely place, quiet place, or wilderness. And he points out something about Jesus and the Eremos that we need to remember. There are stories, lots of them, he says, in all four Gospels about Jesus' special relationship with the Eremos because it's the starting place for his ministry and mission. What's he saying? He's saying Jesus didn't just make one trip to the desert. Yes, he started by being tested And approved in that place, but it wasn't a one-time visit for him to the wilderness. Mark's gospel starts the same way Luke's does, by showing us Jesus in the desert. And then he says this later on in the same chapter. Mark chapter 1, verse 35. says this, Before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. A solitary place where he prayed. The solitary place, again, that same term, Eremos, 
some translations even reckon with this verse and call it, he went back to the desert again. This is like Mark's desert chapter. I think Mark was wanting to make the point that, yes, Jesus went to the desert to be tested, but he also went to the desert because he could get alone, and he wanted to get alone with the Father. It was a place where he could be solitary. Jesus kept coming back to the quiet place. In between healing people, casting out demons, and ministering to the needs of everybody around him, he needed to get some time alone. He needed to get to that solitary place with the Father. We see it all over the Gospels, don't we? I mean, if you know anything about the Gospel stories, you know that Jesus is constantly disappearing on people. He's constantly slipping away. They're like, where is Jesus? People need to be healed. Where is he? Because he's constantly getting away to the Aramos. He's always headed back to the desert. This is an important thing for us to remember. Even Jesus, even Jesus needed to get alone with God. It wasn't a one-time deal for him. Even Jesus made the Aramos a way of life. It was a way of life for him. It's important for us to remember because for anybody who wants to take seriously the call of Jesus, come follow me, we also need to follow him into that place. Amen? We need to follow him into that place where we're alone with the Father. We need to follow him into his presence. That needs to be a part of our regular rhythm as well. Not an exception to the rule, but our constant practice. If we're going to follow Jesus, we need to follow him into the desert. In the word, if you look through the story of scripture, many of the people that God chose to use in mighty ways spent significant time alone in the desert. Think about it. Who are some of your heroes of the faith? Jesus wasn't the only one who spent time and time again in the desert. David's wilderness years shaped in him a heart after God. Elijah and Moses, we talked about their trips into the desert two weeks ago. Or maybe the most famous, John the Baptist. Where did he live permanently? In the Judean wilderness. Luke 3, verse 2 says this in the NIV. Luke is re- repeating a phrasing used Time and time again, for the, when the word of God would come to the prophets, by no mistake, he tells us this about John the Baptist. It says, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. The word of God met him in that solitary place. And Gordon MacDonald asks, why John and why there in a desert? And he concludes, because in the deserts, people can hear and brood on things not easily heard or thought about in cities where people are usually hurried, surrounded by noise, and steeped in self-importance. That's a loaded quote right there. Because hurry and endless noise and self-importance, those things will never let you get to the place of being alone with God. They will never let you go to the place of intimacy and trusting on him for everything. But John, the great desert dweller of scripture, was willing to be different, to go wherever and whenever to hear the voice of God. The word of the Lord came to him in that simple place, that quiet place where God was his only priority. And the word of God is still coming to his people in those moments when we get away and choose to make him our everything. And when Jesus, the word made flesh, was shaping his disciples, Do you know where he invited them to go with him time and time again? He invited them to get away with him. 
he asked them to follow him even into the desert. Several times in the Gospels we see this. Not only Jesus getting away, but he invites his disciples to come with him to that place, to the quiet place to seek God in prayer. I'm going to turn to Mark chapter 6. I want to read to you verse 30 to 32. It says this. The apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour. They were out doing miracles. He had sent them out to go and bless people. They returned to Jesus from their ministry tour and told him all they've done, all they taught. And Jesus said this to them. Let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. He said this because there were so many people coming and going, Jesus and his disciples, they didn't even have time to eat. So they set off by boat for a quiet place where they could be alone. Hmm. Things were busy. They were working hard. The gospel was being preached. People were being healed. And Jesus says, hey, let's get away. It's time. It's time to get, get away for a minute. It's time to not get swept up in it all. The word, once again, in that phrase for let's get away to a quiet place and rest a while, a quiet place, once again, the Aramos, the desert, the wilderness. Let's head into that desert place together. It's just us and Father again. As disciples in Jesus... We have to recognize he's making that same invitation to you and me. Come away with me. He wants to show us that his teaching isn't just about words, but about the rhythms of our lives. The day in, day out rhythms that we embrace. And one rhythm that we desperately need to rediscover is the rhythm of the Aramos, the rhythm of the desert. So what does that look like in our lives? What does it look like in 21st century America to embrace Jesus' habit of going to the desert? Well, a couple of things. It's a rhythm of getting away in a time where we are constantly available to everybody at all times. Don't get me wrong. I love the advancements of technology. You know, there's so much usefulness in the ability to connect with one another. But we have to pay attention to the rhythm shift that it has brought into our lives. Because, yeah, those moments when you need something from somebody, those moments when, you know what, I'm able to reach out and offer support to somebody in this way, yes. But when it becomes our sole rhythm driver, we have a problem. We need to follow his rhythms. Because in our time, we are hardly ever truly alone, right? Because even while we're alone, we got this thing in our pocket, and at any moment, somebody can just drop a bomb on you, right? We're hardly ever truly alone because... We're almost never completely unavailable. And that's a new phenomenon. That's a new phenomenon in the history that we know. I have a hunch that it has something to do with the chaos we're seeing in our world. And the general angst that characterizes our culture. Maybe we need to find out more about this rhythm of getting away, being available to him first and foremost. So it's a rhythm of getting away when we're constantly available. The rhythm of the desert is also a rhythm of less and a time of more. See, our world tells you when you feel unfulfilled, when you're struggling with something, when you're anxious, frustrated, you just need more. You just need more. You need more stuff. You need more money. You need more distractions, more relationships, more causes to get behind, a new hobby. Something else is going to bring you that fulfillment. More, more, more until we're stuffed to the rafters, but we still don't have what we're seeking. Jesus' invitation, get away with me, quiet place with me, 
the place without all the stuff. It reminds us that what we're really looking for, what your heart was made for, is found in him alone. Not all the rest, in him alone. It's an invitation to a place of really relying on anything else less so that we can rely on him more. Like the baptizer in the desert said about him, he must increase and I must decrease. Amen? Reality is, it's a hard rhythm to follow in our day. Because this way of Jesus, this cycle of getting away to the solitary place of prayer and seeking God and then engaging those things that do truly matter in our world, that is totally against the way that our world programs us, isn't it? Totally opposite of what we're drawn into. Despite the fact that every great Christian thinker throughout history affirms this as a spiritual discipline we need to be putting discipline into, we don't like the place of silence and solitude, do we? We don't like that place. See, in the landscapes of Scripture, this one doesn't even register for us. See, we, we get the mountain. We like the idea of the mountain. The mountaintop experience, God's presence manifest, crazy windstorm, signs and wonders. We like the mountaintop. We don't like the valley, but we at least recognize the valley is a place that we're going to end up from time to time. <laughs> valley is a place that unites us because we've all had our valleys. But I find that when we look at the landscapes of Scripture, the desert isn't even on most people's radar. The desert is more like, why would you ever want to go there, right? I'll take the oasis, but the desert I'm not so much interested in. It's not even on most people's radar. And maybe that's just, you know, me, the extrovert, talking up here. We don't like the get away from people part. But the reality is, for all your introverts in the room, I'm talking about more than just getting away to get my me time here. I'm talking about more than just get away, you know, for alone moments. I'm talking about there's a purpose in the Eremos. It's to be a part so you can be truly present with him. The way of Jesus isn't popular. This rhythm is not something you will hear preached to you. You might hear about celebrities taking silent retreats where they're attended to hand and foot by people paid lots and lots of money. But this isn't something that our culture espouses. None of the newest stuff in our world is going to point you in this direction. This is an ancient path with him. In fact, the way of Jesus, if you choose to embrace this kind of rhythm in your life, it will contradict over and over again what the world is teaching you and training you in. Gerald Sitzer is a Bible historian, and he tells of a peculiar group of Christians in the early centuries called the Desert Saints, or the Desert Fathers, in his book, Water from a Deep Well. See, something changed when Christianity became the acceptable state religion of the Roman Empire under Constantine with the Edict of Milan. Something shifted in the church and its habits and its rhythms. Gerald Sitzer says this, In less than a generation, Christianity ceased to be a persecuted faith and became a privileged one. Suddenly, it became almost fashionable to be a Christian, and church attendance grew at an unprecedented rate. Meanwhile, standards of discipleship appeared to decline. So a group of people, commonly called the Desert Saints, decided they were going to do something a little different in their lives. Literally going into the wilderness for years so they could seek God alone. And, and honestly, if you read the stories of some of the Desert Saints, they sound absolutely bananas. Like nuts. The things that they decided to do. 
And Sitzer comments on that. He says, perhaps the desert saints went too far in giving up everything to follow Jesus. It would certainly appear that way in an age like our own, when Christianity blends so comfortably into the cultural status quo. Reality is, maybe not in the ways that the desert saints did it, but I believe God wants us to go looking for ways to get away with just him and us again. He wants there to be an intentionality in the heart of every person who follows Jesus to say, like David did in the scriptures, when can I get away with you, God? When can I go into your presence? Hunger for that desert place, that solitary place with him. Following Jesus is intertwined for every single one of us with the rhythms of our culture. And we need to be willing to be different from our world so that we can seek God with everything we are. Amen. Gerald Sitzer points out one more important note about these desert fathers, these wild saints. He said, you know, they didn't withdraw to escape what was going on in the culture. There are people who want to withdraw so that we can just shut the doors and pretend that nothing else is happening, right? And just close our eyes, turn a blind eye to everything wrong happening in the world. I don't care about that. It's just me doing my thing. They didn't withdraw because they wanted to escape what was going on, the problems of the culture. They withdrew so they could engage them first in the more important place. Because the desert is the place where we get on our knees There are problems in our world that we're not supposed to escape from but to engage, but the reality is if we're not engaging them first with the creator of the universe, then we're walking into those battles with no authority. The desert is a place we go to engage those things, but to engage them in the important place first. And then, just as Jesus did, we head back into those battles with spiritual authority, Gerald Sitzer says, the desert became for them a place of spiritual combat. We live in a world where spiritual warfare is a real thing, although it doesn't often get talked about in our churches. But we need to be ready to take up the authority we have in Jesus over powers and principalities in our world, which are nothing to do with the ways of Jesus, which are enslaving people around us. But the most important thing is that we got to get alone with him first. We have to make this our rhythm first before we can engage. And I think as I look around our world and there's so much injustice, there's so much wrong, and Christians with all the bravado and all the the passion to see those wrongs right and everything, we tend to love to run towards every fight, to get involved, to draw battle lines. But these crazy people realized something that I think they they were onto something, that something that was in the way of Jesus as well. They recognized that they needed to engage with these battles first in the place of prayer on their knees and getting away with him before they engaged it with their neighbors in their own power. Like Jesus, they embraced the struggle, but they embraced it by leaning on God alone, not their own thoughts, not their own might, leaning on him and his word and his ways waiting to make sure, just like Jesus in the desert, that it wasn't anything of me. Allowing all the passions and the things that tempt us to fall away so we could seek him alone. That's how they engaged their world. But they did it by getting into the desert, into the solitary place with him. And when they returned, you can read some of the stories of the desert saints and the ministries that they had into their world at that time. There was an authority with them that was unmistakable unmistakable 
authority from God when they did engage their world in a passionate way. Reality is this, Jesus couldn't get enough of the the desert place. He couldn't get enough of the desert, and he passed on this rhythm to his followers. And for 2,000 years, it has been a part of the church's foundation to get away with him, to get to the place of silence and solitude where you're with him. Because the Lord knows what the desert holds for you and me, too. Jesus is still inviting us into the desert because there's something waiting there for you. It's not a place our world will teach you to go. It's not a place we like to go. We're addicted to the noise. We're addicted to the connectedness to everybody. We don't like to go there, but there's something waiting for you there. And Jesus won't stop inviting you there because he wants to give it to you. I want to tell you three things that I believe he wants to give you in the desert place, if you'll follow him there. First one is this, provision. Provision. A lot of times we avoid the desert because we're so busy seeking to provide for ourselves in a million ways. For Israel in the desert for 40 years, they had the miraculous provision of manna and quail, although if you read that story, it was kind of a double-edged sword. For Jesus in the desert, in Luke's account, the angels attended to him and provided for him. I want to say this to you because the desert sounds like a scary place to all of us. But God doesn't lead us into the wilderness to let us die there. That's not his purpose for taking us into the desert. He leads us into the wilderness so we can see he's all the strength that we need. So that it kind of kills off the desire in ourselves to kind of always be self-sufficient and under control of every aspect of my life. Which if you try and live that way long enough, you'll learn you're not in control of every aspect of your life anyway. He doesn't lead us into the wilderness to let us die, but to become for us all the strength that we need. If you ask the Lord, how do I get more of this in my life? How do I get to the Eremos, that place alone with you? You know, the journey that you'll start with him, it might be a very simplifying journey in your life. It will also be a time where he makes up all the difference and then some for you. If you decide... Not to conform any longer to the patterns of this world, as Paul says, but to be transformed by the renewing of your mind and your habits, relying on him alone, Jesus will never let you down in that place. He's going to provide for you more than you could ever provide for yourself. The desert is first and foremost, although it might not look like it on the surface, it's a place of God's deep provision for you, where he will meet every need. The desert... It's a place we can choose to intentionally go, intentionally, you know, kind of dropping our do-it-myself mentality about everything and choosing to trust him, follow his invitation to follow him there. But it's also a place where sometimes we end up because we've tried first with all of our might to do everything for myself. I have ended up in the desert in this way (laughs) more times than I'd like to count. Because when I try and do absolutely everything, I get burnt out. I get burnt out, tired, exhausted, by those rhythms that I'm trying so hard to keep up with, and I end up in the desert anyway, in a place where I realize I have to rely on him because I got nothing left. Got nothing left. Another thing that we find about the desert, about the Aramos with Jesus, is a surprise as well. In the desert, he wants to give you rest. The desert is a place he wants to give you rest. Pete Scazzaro author of an incredible uh, book called The Emotionally Healthy Church, 
says this, and he's speaking to pastors and leaders in this moment, but honestly it applies to every single one of us who follows Jesus. He says this, most of us live in a hurry, battling to make the best use of every spare minute we have. We end our days exhausted from the endless needs of our churches and lives, and then our free time becomes filled with more demands in an already overburdened life. We read about the need to rest and recharge, but we can't stop ourselves. It's like being addicted, only it's not to drugs or alcohol, but to activity and doing and doing. Our bodies physiologically cannot seem to get off adrenaline and slow down. We fear how things might fall apart if we slow down. So we just keep going. Just keep going. His conclusion What he sees in scripture is the antidote. He says, like Moses, like Elijah, like John the Baptist and Jesus, each of us must somehow fashion a desert in the midst of our lives to cultivate our personal relationship with Jesus. The answer isn't more. More connectedness, more things, more relationships, whatever it is. The answer is less. The answer is get away with him. Hear the call. Don't just follow me. Follow me into that place. Jesus is calling We need the rhythm of getting time and space away with him. It's crucial to maintaining our health and our sanity as followers of Jesus. In a world of burnout, the way of Jesus looks totally strange, but the results also look strange. Because following Jesus in this way, it doesn't lead us where we see so often people struggling. It leads to rest and peace Because peace isn't found in more doing. It's found in a person. And that person is calling to you, get away with me. Inviting you and I again, as he did to his disciples over and over again. And we've shared this verse a hundred times, but it's worth repeating. Matthew chapter 11, the message version of Jesus' famous call says this. Are you tired, worn out, burnt out? Come to me. Get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay any heavy thing or ill-fitting thing on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Get away with me most important work in our lives happens in the secret place with him. And it will restore you. It will refresh you. He will provide for you and be everything you need so that you can engage your family, your co-workers, your neighbors with his authority and his power. Amen? That's the final thing that I believe God wants to clothe you with if you'll do this with him is his power. Back to Dune for a minute. Like I said, it's in theaters right now as well. This is, I think, the third time they've tried to make a movie out of it, and technology just wasn't there before. But all the movies latch on to this simple quote from a character early in the movie where he tells his son that on their home planet, which wasn't a desert, they ruled with sea and air power, but they were going to have to learn how to rule with desert power. If they were going to be successful on the desert planet, he said, we're going to have to find desert power. And every one of those movies just loves that phrase, desert power. But I think it's an important thing for us to remember. See, for you and I, 
we have power that we're comfortable with, right? We might have had the air and sea power. We might have had the things that, you know, we know how to control these aspects of our lives. We feel like we have power over these events and our schedule. We, you know, we like to be in control of things. There's a level of comfort that we have. Jesus wants to take you somewhere that's uncomfortable. He wants to get you to that desert place. He wants to get you away with him so that he can instill in you a power that you don't know anything about. He wants to give you desert power that you can't find in your normal routines. We all have our strengths and weaknesses, but for what God has in store for you and I and our future, both together and individually, we need desert power. We need the kind of power that comes from those moments alone with him in silence and solitude. And God wants to put that power in you when you choose to get away with him and seek him first. Like the desert saints, we need to cultivate that rhythm of being away and alone with him, whatever that looks like for you, because it's going to look different for you than it does for me. We need to make the desert a priority. I believe it's a significant step in every believer's journey with Jesus to say to him, Lord, what does the Eramos look like for me? God, you know my situation. I got two small kids. I'm leading a church, whatever. I got a lot going on, but God, what does this look like for me? Because it is my priority. Time with you, only you, has to be my priority. Or I will not go where you want to lead me. Here's the thing. If you'll do this, even if it leaves you weaker in your own power... Because just like Jesus is going to bring you face to face with temptations and things that are naturally inside of all of our flesh, even if it leaves you weaker in your own power, kind of like fasting does for us, do everything you can to follow Jesus into that place where it's just you and him. Because his power is so much greater than the power we already have. It's in that place where we see what Paul talked about when he said, when I am weak, his strength is made perfect. In me. And just as Jesus was led by the Spirit in the wilderness in Luke chapter 4, Luke tells us that when he returned from the wilderness, he returned in the mighty power of the Holy Spirit working in him. He returned with a kind of authority that they had never seen before. He walked straight into the synagogue and grabbed the scroll of Isaiah and said, this has been fulfilled in your hearing today. And they were amazed at his authority and his power in that moment. And he began to heal the sick, to cast out demons, to bring about the kingdom of God with every step because he returned in the power of the spirit. Desert power. That's what he wants to give you an eye. There are situations in your life that you need desert power for. The world is going to tell you you need to do more, more, more. But I want to tell you the answer is found in getting alone with him, getting away with him, putting these things before him, creating enough space to actually listen for his voice. We all need that in our lives. And that's what the desert looks like. So let me ask you some questions and then we'll wrap up. What does it look like for you? And this isn't a question I can answer for you. This is a question that I honestly think you need to put before the Lord in a place of prayer. What does it look like for you? Well, maybe it's taking out time in your day. There's a, something to be said for 
meetings that aren't meetings in your schedule? Anybody ever done this before? I've got a meeting coming up. You don't owe it to anybody to tell them what that meeting is. If that meeting is you alone with Jesus, you've got a meeting on the schedule. Maybe we need to schedule some more meetings that aren't really meetings in our very, very busy lives. Maybe it's taking time out of our day, out of our natural rhythms. Maybe it's just being willing to shake up our rhythms in the first place. Some of us are so in love with our rhythms, right? Because we've got all the ducks in a row. Jesus is kind of famous for shaking up people's rhythms. If you want to follow him, I think you can expect a little bit of that along the way. Maybe it means getting away into a non-digital space. Because quite frankly, a lot of times when we get alone, the first thing we do is our phone is buzzing with some kind of reminder, somebody wants your attention. We get away and we veg out, right? Like the end of a tired day, I'll be honest, there is nothing more than I want to do than just turn on a Cavs game and just watch and eat chips and salsa. Sounds awesome. Honestly, I love that. And yeah, there's a place to be said for that, but not if it means that I've sacrificed my time with Jesus first. Maybe we need to get away into a non-TV space, a non-social media space, a non-connected world so that we can actually connect to the only one who really matters. Another habit, another spiritual discipline that will take you into the Eremos is the discipline of fasting. You know, we start each year with a fast, so you can put it on your list for January 2021 if you're planning ahead. Fasting is an incredible way of getting away with Jesus. It's a great way to deny ourselves some of our normal routines and comforts so that we can develop a hunger for God alone. When our bellies start to rumble because we're skipping that meal, we can go, God, my hunger is for you alone. And that will take you into the desert with him. Jesus made it a habit of heading into the desert. He invites his disciples to do the same thing, including you and me, because he knows what's in store for us when we will go into that place of being alone with him. Refreshing, restoration, strengthening. That's what grows inside of us when we seek him with all our hearts. Desert may be a place where you think nothing grows, but if you go there, you will grow immensely. You will grow immensely. And when we join him in this rhythm, we can engage the battles that we need to fight with him. We can engage the enemy without and the enemy within in a brand new way. When we let go of all the other things that we're way too attached to anyway and make him our all, we're never disappointed. Amen. Amen. I want us to, to pray in just a moment. And the worship team can come up. And we're going to end in a song. And I, I just want to invite you to reflect. If you want to close your eyes, uh, go right ahead. Whatever posture you want to take in this moment, if you're watching online, uh, maybe you want to close your eyes if you're just sitting there at home. But I want us to just reflect for a moment. And I want us to pray. And as we do, I want to invite you to ask a dangerous question of God. But first, let's reflect. Jesus was constantly getting away to this place. He was constantly inviting his disciples to get away to this place. The quiet place, the solitary place. The place without all the noise. The place where everything was simple. Where is that place for you? What does it look like in your life? Maybe you need to ask the Holy Spirit that right now and say, where can I even find that? Maybe you don't even know where to begin to look for that. If you ask him, I guarantee you he'll lead you there. 
is he desperately wants those quiet moments with just you and him, intimacy, where he can show you who he is. He wants to take you there. What does that look like for your rhythms and your habits? Remember, the way of Jesus isn't just about words. It's about our rhythms, our actions, our daily. What does it look like for you? I want to invite you to ask that question before the Lord. And it's a dangerous question. Ask him, what does the desert look like for me? And then make a plan to get there this week. Make a plan and let nothing stop you from getting to that place where it's just you and him again. That question isn't really a dangerous question. It's only dangerous to our flesh. It's only dangerous to the parts of us that don't want to give up and surrender control to him. But it may be the key to you experiencing the Lord's presence on a whole new level. Amen? Let's pray together and we're going to worship. Lord, we thank you that when you came and walked amongst us, you didn't just yell at us and preach at us. God, you taught us in incredible ways, but you taught us by doing most most of all. God, I pray that you would remind us as your followers that we need to step into your rhythms as well. Teach us those unforced rhythms of your grace. God, we want to learn of you. We want to meet you there. We want to hear your voice. And I suspect the most important thing of hearing your voice is just getting quiet enough. I suspect that sometimes the reason you speak in that gentle whisper so that we have to get intentional and get away and get to a quiet enough place where we can hear your whisper. God, I pray you take each and every one of us to that desert place, quiet place, the solitary place, the place where we're unplugged, maybe unavailable to everybody else, but wholly and totally available to you. God, even when we get there, it takes us a minute to let our minds switch off from all those routines that we have built up. God, I pray for each and every one of us. Holy Spirit, would you speak to our hearts and confirm to our minds what that looks like for us to get away with you, to be alone with you. We've got needs, Lord, lots of them. There are battles raging in our world, lots of them. We know that the most important thing is getting away with you, that our deepest need is our need for more of you. God, teach us how to seek you first. Teach us this ancient path. Lead us, Lord, by the hand. Teach us to follow you in every aspect of our lives. We surrender our hearts to you. We give you control. Come and change anything that needs to be changed in us because we want to seek you. We want to glorify you. We want every beat of our heart to bring us closer to you. In Jesus' mighty name. And all of God's people said, amen, amen, amen. Let's worship him. Hey, thanks for joining us today. We pray this message has been a blessing to you. If you've enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to leave us a review. It helps others find this content. If you want to connect with us, head over to social media or go to wordofgracechurch.com.